Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Gray Matters. This is Ricky. Hi, everyone. This is Charmaine. And today's episode, we're very excited. We're going to be exploring the gray spaces with you and kind of more specifically within academia. And we have a very special guest, Flora Roussel. I hope I said that right, Flora. Yes, you did. Uh, Hello, everyone. And thank you for having me today. Thank you. We are so glad to have you. Um, Ricky and I met Flora at the NEMLA conference, which we have gone on and on about and will continue to go on and on about, but it was a really, really wonderful opportunity. And if I remember correctly, Flora, I think we um, we first like met and kind of virtually interacted because this uh, 2021 NEMLA was virtual um, through the WGS caucus meeting. And um, we talk a little bit more about the NEMLA episode in our academic conferencing episode. So go back and listen to that if you would like to learn more about our NEMLA experience and the wonderful experience we had and the people we met there. Um, But we really connected over like talking about gray spaces within academia and how there's just so much that kind of doesn't get discussed. And um, we talked you know, about our talk that we were giving there, Ricky and I, and Flora was gracious enough and wonderful enough to attend the talk. And so um, we wanted to have Flora on and share this conversation with the Gray Matters community. Um, So a little bit about Flora and um, your research. So Flora, you are a candidate at the University of Montreal in Quebec, Canada, um, and your research focuses on comparative literature in different languages um, and space for Indigenous perspectives and work outside of a Eurocentric lens with some of your research focusing on Japan, Nigeria, France, and Germany, um, contemporary literature and feminist literatures and feminisms, sexuality, subjectivity, and corporeality. Yes, that's correct. Thank you for the introduction. Yes, so we actually met in this virtual conference in Nimla. It was also the first time um, for me, and it was really an amazing um, way to meet other people and other way of researching. And I was so glad that we we met virtually, but we met and that we found some connecting points between our research and practices. Yeah, absolutely. It's always so great. I think that's one of the wonderful things about conferences is that you really can, you connect with some really great people and you make amazing connections and it's a great opportunity to network, but also to like explore your own work. And you often find that like, especially for Ricky and I like talking about gray matters and gray spaces and bridging academia and activism. Um, there's so many other people who are also engaging in this work. And a lot of times with NEMLA being uh, sort of interdisciplinary, it's really wonderful to connect to people outside of WGS who are doing this work as well. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, so one of the kind of talking about like what the gray spaces are and like this kind of thought process behind the gray spaces, I think that largely influences our like, the evolution of gray matters mm-hmm. and this kind of need and this um, like imperative, like need to uh, to f- create a space that sheds light on and explores the gray spaces. And you're welcome to add to that as well, Ricky. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, um, sorry, I didn't know if Flora wanted to add before I went on talking about gray matters. Uh, but yeah, I... I really appreciated our connection at the conference um, and like we, we, I think we connect, we, what is connect, connected on um, all being academics, but also being 
of recognizing the world outside of academia and mm-hmm. uh, what I think in my head is kind of like the Venn diagram and we kind of fall in that little area which is what we call gray spaces um and where gray matters the blog came from and it's largely because a lot of people don't discuss that gray area and I actually was just having a conversation who was I with I have so many conversations. I talk too much, y'all, and I don't even remember who I'm with. But if you're listening and you were in this conversation, just say, hey, Ricky, it was me. (laughs) Um, But I was having a conversation with someone and it was about how society likes to put you in boxes. And it's like, if you're an academic, you have to check all of these micro boxes inside the main box of being an academic. But what happens a lot of times for people who, uh, I'll just focus on myself. I'm not gonna speak for Charmaine, but I think Charmaine and I connect on this. I am a little rebel at heart. And if you give me a box, I always like to fall outside of that box. I've been asking questions since I popped out of the womb. One of my first words was, mommy, can I see? I was like, get out the way. Let me see for myself because I'm always asking questions. And I I have noticed that even in academia, it's a space that invites you, are supposed to invite you to ask questions, but you're limited to ask certain questions at certain times. And based on your positionality in academia, sometimes your questions don't get answered and you're looked over are Mm -hmm. sometimes they expect you to answer the question with Mm -hmm. a reproduced thought that's already existing out there rather than having quoted properly yes quoted properly anyways let me not get into that quoted properly and it's just a regurgitation of of ideas and ideology that's already there and then when you try to come forward and break the mold right it's like oh well you don't have enough standing in academia to break the mode per se the people who are quote unquote breaking the mode aren't actually breaking the mode they're regurgitating so they can keep their standing so it, it like continues this toxic cyclical process and so in my head I'm like I don't want to do any of this <laughs> so that's how Charmaine and I came together on Gray Matters and it's been a very interesting journey to be in the space of academics, but also outside of academia and also communicate academic topics. And I'm using air quotes here in a way that's accessible because the gray space, one of the, um, I think strengths of the gray space or benefits of the gray space is that we can begin to question accessibility because if you fall into that gray space, you, you aren't in academia sometimes and you don't have access to that. And sometimes people outside of academia don't have access to the world outside of academia. So the gray space, I feel like allows questioning of accessibility and who has the who has access to what information that was my little tangent <laughs> no that's that's great i think uh, we are connected on on different um, or various points that uh, you both uh, just talked about like what interested me in your approach of gray spaces like with mm-hmm. uh, gray matters the blogs was this gray spaces this uh, unknown this uh, non-defined space um, also spaces where 
it is not a box, it's something that has no limits as such, or that wants to have no limits because of, of course, uh, as soon as you talk about something, you're putting limits in, with your choice of words and such, but, and um, the fact that you're trying to um, get, to make accessible a lot of topics that are talked about in academia, um, for example, feminisms uh, in plural, um, sexuality, um, LGBTQ plus folks and such. And, and of course you have the activism, um, activist communities that are really strong, but sometimes I feel that there is no proper bridge between the both. And I myself, I, I mean, I'm not a good example because I'm not an activist as such, but to be able to do this uh, conversation with you, it's also a way for me to, well, think about my, my research, but also your research and your way of thinking and like trying to expand myself, you know, and like getting out of my comfort zone. And I think that also the purpose of Gray Spaces and Gray Matters, the blogs that you try to yeah, to go beyond the boxes, actually, not just falling inside. And I think that's one possibility to uh, kind of deconstruct the accepted frameworks. And I'm using also here uh, quotes. Um, like when you talk about a specific topic, then you will be told, oh, you should use this person or this. And it is like almost mandatory. And when you don't, it's you always have to justify why you don't do that mm. and and if you just choose to so for example one a part of my research is um is focusing on uh, non-european literatures and uh, often the question i get in conferences is based on european theories uh, or western white western theories when i'm like well but <laughs> I can understand that sometimes you can make use of that and see the limits of those theories. But on the other side, I'm like, why not using um, theories from the African continents of whom in the Asian uh, continent that are also really interesting and appealing and, you know, making you think further than just, okay, like I will quote again this person ever and ever. And, and then as, as you say, like, you cannot just repeat the same thing, but with a different angle and, that's what I'm trying not to do with my research, but it's super difficult to be in those gray spaces. Like you're in between stuff, but you're not between two categories. You're just like in this small slice, you know, between, yeah, like a sandwich uh, somehow. Uh, it's not a super good metaphor, but <laughs> you're gonna understand what I'm saying. No. Yeah, yeah, I, that's great. Charmaine and I have Go a ahead, connection Ricky. to sandwich. No, I was just going to say we have a connection to yeah. sandwich. So I understand. <laughs> I understand the sandwich because um, it's talked a lot about in um, academic writing structures and what's acceptable and how um, your own ideas have to be supported by a sandwich. And, uh, and when you do try write in your oh my gosh, I get this all the time in my writing and I find it really annoying when people are like, um, find support for your ideas. And I'm like, 
what? Or they'll be like, find a source. And I'm like, well, I'm writing about this topic that nobody else is writing about. You want me to find a source? And I get this question a lot of times, especially if I'm writing, um, I think in MWGS, Multicultural Women Gender Studies, depending on which uh, class you take, there's a little bit more um, leeway when it comes to having your own ideas. But a lot of times when you go outside of MWGS and other classes I've taken, it's more like you have to find support for your research. And I'm like, well, how are we supposed to do groundbreaking research if we're constantly finding support for something that I notice? Like if I can see it with my eyes and nobody else is talking about it, why do I have to have support? Or when you're talking about a, a topic, um, let's say it's sociology or whatever, and you don't use a sociological theory that already exists and you're like, well, nobody was talking about this topic that I'm having research on and I can't find a theory and that's why I'm talking about it. But um, like you said, Flora, there's always this question of like, um, why did why did you use this person? Why didn't you use this person? You should include this person in that. Um, and you get this too when you bring up feminism. Like when you think of feminism, people automatically assume this very... Um, I can't even think of people because I feel like I'm so invested in feminisms who, who and feminists, especially black feminists and feminists of color who are unknown. I can't even think of, I don't know, Charmaine, what are the popular feminists that everybody wants to quote and everybody uses? And when you don't quote or use them, people are questioning you like, oh, is this even talking about feminist, feminism if you didn't quote and use this person? And I think the big question here is how, like, within academia how can we possibly um and we talk about this a lot Charmaine with Audrey Lord like um using the master's tools to kind of like and I'm probably jumping all over the conversation but how do we how do we dismantle this structure within this structure because what I tend to find in these conversations is a lot of people end up leaving academia because they oh. don't they don't want to keep going through this toxic cycle of trying to bring new work to the academy and constantly being rejected. So you you see a lot of people leaving academia, a lot of people of color, um, marginalized communities. And then it's interesting because within academia, they're like, how do we keep our retention? Like I saw, oh my gosh, I saw a article that was like, how can universities keep their black are there people of color staff from like, how can we increase, um, our, our, how can we keep um, like the professors, people of color and marginalized communities professors and keep them without leaving? And I feel like these questions come up, but no one really wants to hear the truth and the yeah. answer behind them. Yeah, like there's, um, there's a lot of, I think this connects a lot to the conversations that we have where there's a lot of like individual responsibility, but not collective responsibility. And mm -hmm. so it's like, oftentimes that also connects to like not wanting to actually address the systemic concern. Like a lot of, we, we're, you know, we, a lot of this conversation I think connects to like limitations and these limitations of academic frameworks, which reproduce hegemony, hegemony, mm -hmm. meaning like this Eurocentric binary heteronormativity. 
And that's, of course, reproduced within the ivory tower. I mean, they call it the ivory tower for a reason. We say that a lot, but it's like, that's something that is often, it's too uncomfortable to address. And it's addressed in very theoretical terms. And we talk a lot about it in the classroom and a lot of academics may write about it. But when it comes to that performance and that action, that's the follow through isn't there. So it's like, there's not, there's not a, um, there's an impetus to address like white supremacy within academia, but then on the same hand or on the other hand, I guess you could say, there's not a um, actual like physical work being done to do that. A lot of those standards and that hegemony is still upheld as the norm, as the universal standard that academics should attain. And I think that in of itself is a very kind of um, disruptive, conversation too because it is it's like disrupting everything that we know so far right and so it just I think for too many academics and especially academic institutions it's like too disruptive to go there it's too difficult to go there it's too difficult to dismantle the entire system and start over I'm kind of thinking of like Audre Lorde and the master's tools theory mm-hmm. um I yeah I mean I don't have an answer I just want to share my thoughts <laughs> well you know maybe really there's no answers actually because yeah asking questions for me doesn't necessarily mean that you should have an answer ready and uh, it's actually for me more a tool a way to force it's it's a bit brutal but like to or force or imply people to think over what what they are thinking until now and to go beyond and we are already going to go beyond what we know and like and I think it's ask us to have guts, you know, and like, and like, okay, I actually, like my role, academic education was mainly white Western and it takes, um, it's not courage, but you know, like to say, okay, now I, I don't want that anymore. There is something else in the world. And, you know, it is actually the world. It's not just this white Western perspectives on sexuality or on feminisms and also on, marginalized communities when you're like okay it's always those who are not part of those communities that are talking about them and I'm like well that's not supposed to be like that as ally yes but like the main I would say maybe like the main quoted articles would be more those that turn to uh, quote white western theories and and that's a problem and that's why I'm trying and I think you do too like um, from what I can understand from this conversation like I'm trying to to not fully defining where I want to go because because there is no ending you know it's like it's like you're in waters and you're just you keep swimming and there is a current so you go where the current is living is like it's pushing you or you're leaving a space and you enter another space but I like this fluidity and to always have an answer I think well okay you find your answer and then what is the next step then you have Mm -hmm. to go all the process again and having an answer won't necessarily profit people like it won't change into action so what what you said also both like it stays like it's a lot of saying but not a lot of doing I have the feeling and it's also the same when you think about like academic structure um also articles structures like the way you have to write and such and I was thinking maybe I'm like just turning the conversation into another way but 
like if creative research could do something to dismantle from within, you know, like, but even that, when I was talking to some people who have such programs, they say, yes, but you always have to have like a theoretical chapters or strong theories, and then you can do your creative stuff. And mm -hmm. it's not, it's, um, yeah, and I don't know, sometimes I wish we could just do like maybe more poetics in the sense of Edouard Glissant, um, a philosopher, uh, poet, uh, really well-known from Martinique, um, who developed a lot of um, theoretical concepts. And one of them is um, all of about uh, the relational aspects of living, of thinking, of being, of becoming, you know? And the way he's writing, it's really, creative is like a poetics you know and you don't have okay I define this as dot you know it's like mm -hmm. I'm just my thinking is like that follow me and just you know open yourself and try to follow and of course it's always then the it's a question of how can we make this accessible because obviously it's it asks you to be a bit relaxed or like a bit aware of what is going on in the world to understand certain stuff but uh, yeah yeah. Wow. I, I really, that's so eloquently stated, Flora. And I, yeah, I think that's important. I think it's important too, especially within academia. Like we are, we're encouraged to ask a lot of questions and yeah, I, I it's, it's like, it gives me a lot of thoughts about dismantling and like, you know, doing research and it's like, working from within the frameworks, but then also trying to disrupt and subvert the frameworks while you're working within them. And I think that's, that's, I loved hearing about your research is because like, I, I love how it's it, trying to, attempting to engage in that actually not just attempting, but engaging in that. I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking, um, I have so many thoughts, but Flora, <laughs> I, good. you, you said the word becoming and people are going to get tired of me talking about this. Okay. But I'm going to talk about it again. So if you're listening and you're tired of talking about me, just skip the next minute. But there is, I just had this enlightening experience. Um, so Michelle Obama, uh, okay. has her book called becoming and there's a talk where she talks about the title of that book and why she called it becoming. And it's related to the question you get, like when you're little, everyone asks you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And everyone's always mm. asking you, where do you want to be in five years? What do you want to be in 10 years? And who do you want to be? And blah, 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 blah. Like it's a finite process. Like, mm. like you become something and that's it. Like if you ask a doctor, everyone's going to expect you, what do you want to do? Like, when are you going to become a doctor? How are you going to become a doctor? Like becoming a doctor is a finite process and it's the only process of your humanity. And I think in academia, especially when it comes to the writing process and um, when we talk about um, the process of dissertating, um, which I'm going to have to do one day and it scares me, our thesis works, our, you know, even research in general, um, even when you submit a paper for a class, let's just say you submit a paper for a class, the process is this very um, binary view of writing where your writing process for that thing stops. Like once you do the final draft, that's it, you have become like the final draft is that 
that's it. And it's almost not accepted for a person to submit something that is a continuous working process, right? Because how many papers have we submitted? I've submitted so much stuff. Let me just speak for myself. I read over it like a year later and I'm like, what is this, honey? Like who told me to that this was okay, you know? But that's just that just goes to show like as humans, the time between a couple of months could be completely different. And our processes as academics is this continuous um, forming process. But I think in academia, everything is so finite. It's so binary. There is no space to just exist or just um, submit like what you can at that moment. It's almost like they want you to strive for perfection or strive mm. for it to be the very best all the time. And I think that that is not necessarily um, fair to, um, especially those who are creatives in academic, who, who actually invest in their writing, especially those who are breaking outside of the mold to create something that is outside of the mold is a process. And like you said, it is a creative journey. I think about Gloria Anzaldúa when she talks about her writing process and like how it's like a, it's not this streamlined timeline from beginning to end. Um, it's this this process that's all over the place. Like it's, it's, it's not because we as humans are not timeline, streamlined people. Like our journeys in life are not very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like continuous. It's not, okay, we're going to go here. And then next year I'm going to be here. It's this very sometimes chaotic process. And I think in academia, we do not recognize and appreciate the chaotic. We try mm -hmm. to control the chaos that makes us mm -hmm. human beings. And we try to limit the process of becoming. Um, yeah, and I think that like everything else is directly related to colonization, imperialism, and the structure of who the ivory tower was created for and created mm -hmm. to benefit. And we're trying to use this structure that is very binary to be more inclusive, but you can't use the same structure that benefited the few to benefit the ma the masses or to benefit marginalized communities because it wasn't created to benefit those communities. Um, and that's my second tangent for this episode, listeners. <laughs> so sorry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, those are my those were just my thoughts when you mentioned the coming. Yeah, it's uh, it's. I really like the way you put it, a binary view of writing. It's it's that actually. We have when it's something I, I'm I'm concerned with right now, like I'm in this uh, famous uh, writing phase of the dissertation, but I'm not going anywhere right now. <laughs> but I have a supervisor and also the university um, you know, remembering me. You know, sometimes you will have to submit something, <laughs> something that has to be structured, that should incorporate answers, and um, and it's hard when you're thinking. It's, it's I mean, you keep thinking. You know, it, it's like I'm a bit like you also, um, Ricky. When I think back, what I wrote, like I don't know, even three months ago, I'm like, oh gosh, did I really write that? <laughs> 
but since then I did uh, other weddings, I met other people and my my thinking just like developed. Uh, I don't like to use um, the verb evolve. I think it's too tied to Darwinism, so I would prefer develop. And um, when you talk about cows, I have to think again of Edouard Lissant uh, um, about uh, whom I just talked about, because it's exactly what he's saying about the thinking. It shouldn't be a system of thinking. So you have a structure and you're like, you just have a tiny space where you can think and you have to respect a certain structure, but it's a chaos. You go there and here and continuously moving, you know, and you have some points that makes you, I don't know, new insights or develop something new, no matter in which domain. And then you keep moving and you have another point, but there's a chaos that is beneficial for people and doesn't need to be controlled by them. It has its order by itself. And that's what I, I found it really interesting, you know, this paradoxical way of thinking, you know, to be ordered in disorder, like a way of, of creating something that is chaotic, but have sense for you and for other people who might read you maybe just a bit or maybe the world, but that's, that's not the point, you know, the point is not that to make everything perfect because to be honest, I think perfection doesn't exist. And that's uh, probably one of the main problems for academia today to be so hostile elitists. I don't know if the name exists in English, like elitists, you know, like really for yeah. elite. And I mean, I'm saying that and I'm a white woman, so <laughs> It's a bit uh, paradoxical for me to say that, but the higher you go, the more you encounter a certain elite um, that you you are asked to conform to. So, absolutely, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's it. You've really said it, Flora, because it is very. I think the the idea that like a written work it's very daunting, right? Cause it's like set in stone. Like you, you wrote it down on paper, but I think that we do need to look at uh, so many things as, um, I like the word that you used. I like you did. I'm sorry. What did you said? Um, I just left out of my mind. You said you didn't like evolution, right? Because it's developed. Yeah. I developed, like yes. devo yeah, developed development. Yeah, I Even really if it's like a that. bit connoted also, you know, with, uh, this so-called, uh, countries uh, in development countries i mean in french we have pays en voie de development which yeah. translates into countries that are developing but mm -hmm. yes it's it was this difficult choice of words is difficult what well, language right we language. have a whole episode yeah. about language and how like language is we're often so limited by language um but yes i do i like that i think that developed has a different connotation and i think that part of that development connects to like um the trialogue, which I really like that you use that mm. word too, like the trialogue and collaboration, because it allows us to, um, it's, it's a way to inherently like or to counter the inherent binary and it encourages dialogue and encourages like this internal disruption, which I think we need in academia. Um, and, um, I think this is something that you said too, about like the gray spaces, which are in between and beyond at the same time. And I think that is like so profound because, that's kind of how we can think about this. Sometimes 
it's not necessarily labeling it, but being able to work, work from within that same space that really gives us that, um, I want to say advantage for lack of better words, advantage isn't really like the exact word that I'm going for, but I think that it allows us this space to operate, to research, to think, to process outside of the binaries that are inherently forced upon us. I, in a class one time, we talked about safe spaces and the professor brought up a really important point where she said, are there ever any, any safe spaces? And we were like, yeah, your mind. Cause you can, and she was like, is it really a safe space though? Because are you still, <laughs> and we were like, no, don't do that. Like don't tell graduate students there's no safe space, but she was so right. Like really, are there any safe spaces? Cause even I know I do this. I am graduated and you know, like I, I still, when I'm writing, have all of these things that are going on in my mind that are sometimes reductive to the work that I'm doing, to the process that I'm trying to, to go through. And that sometimes a necessary process in order to create something substantial. And I think that, I mean, it does, it very much connects to our perceptions of gender. And like you said, Flora, about like the way that we talk about like transnational feminisms, which is like, I have a whole issue with that term that I won't get into a whole tangent about. Um, but just even the way that we look at um, what is considered valuable work or what is considered like reputable or, um, you know, a quotable, like what is considered a, a, a uh, framework that we will develop in, especially like within Western Western in quotes. There's so many air quotes in this conversation. Um, I know at least um, that it's 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 an it's a podcast, so it's not visual. But uh, just so you know, but um, yeah, it's. I think that it's so like it's so important for us to continue having these conversations and creating spaces where people can have these thoughts. And I, that was part of like the impetus for great matters too. And like doing the website and the podcast, like we wanted to have a space where academics could come on and, you know, share their thoughts and their perspectives and their research, because we love hearing about people's research. And oftentimes our research gets really, really, really narrowed down. And it gets very, very, because that's the thing, right? Like when you write a paper, I know for me, I came in with all these broad ideas and they were like, no, no narrower, yeah. narrower, mm -hmm. narrower. And that's the thing, right? Like every paper you write, every research that you have. So, and oftentimes, even when I meet people like in conferences or, or in different academic spaces, it's like, when you meet them, it's almost like you, they're defined through this very narrow scope scope. And so it's like, oh, this is their research and this person. Oh yeah. So-and-so their research focuses on, uh, you know, 18th century farm work in this, in this, town in this, in this one place. And that's what their research focuses on. And for me, I'm always like, I want to hear beyond that. I want to, of course, hear that scope of research as well, but I want to hear what kind of led them to that process, the development, because I don't think anyone is, is looks at their research and says, I'm going to study this one very narrow focus thing and mm -hmm. academia and the structures and the frameworks kind of encourage our research to be like narrow, narrower, narrower, narrower. And that's not necessarily like really conducive to the process either. Yeah. 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 I am. Um, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Charmaine. Everything you mentioned, I, we talk about imposter syndrome a lot on this podcast because it's real out here. It's real. Um, it's yeah. so real. Um, and um, I feel like what you mentioned, this internal, um, you kind of have this internalized, I don't even know what to call it, but you, your question of is, if, is our mind even safe and our internalized like hierarchical, like 
oppressionist structures of the outside world become internalized in all of us and we begin to question ourselves and you see this a lot with marginalized communities in academia I mean it's one of the reasons why I'm like I don't think this is a space for me but it's it's like there's nothing taking place to dismantle that those structures and those hierarchies and because that's happening it becomes internalized and that's I feel like that's how our minds become unsafe spaces because I feel you like everything I write from an email to just taking notes I question it I'm like girl what is this no one's gonna believe that you know you're an educated person what is this and there's this continuous like questioning process um and also oh man, my brain, there was something else you said that I was gonna, that was gonna like expound upon because I appreciated what you said, but then it just left my brain because that's how my brain works. But yeah, I think, um, oh, where is it? It's okay. That's been me this entire conversation. Like there's so many, I have so many thoughts, like firing and processing. It Um, left the building. Um, it just, that's the point. It's a chaotic thinking. That's the point of where we want to go with great spaces you know there is no answers just questions and we are discussing about it Mm -hmm. yeah 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 yeah. um I feel like this could be a whole like conversation like every conversation we have I say this every conversation but this could be a whole like two-hour conversation (laughs) because I think it's I think it's so important for us to continue continually talk about this because um a lot of people Uh, people I talk to often feel alone, especially those who are new to academic spaces and even graduate journeys, they often feel alone and they often feel like they're they're, they're the only ones going through this when collectively we all feel this way. We all feel um, from we're all feeling burnout. We all feel like there's such high expectations um, for for us, and we all feel the need to overwork, which we talked about this in our episode, we all tired, because we are all tired um, of not just doing the work, but trying to do the work to dismantle this structure, too, so it's like mm-hmm. we're doing double the work, um, and I think that conversations like these are super important, um, and they're super they're they're needed because then people don't feel alone um and I just had what I was gonna say but I lost it again I will leave it in the comments of this episode if I think about what I wanted to say if you're listening at this point go read the comments on our Instagram post and I will say what I wanted to say and finish my tangent um but also I would love to hear from our community if anybody else is navigating these gray spaces and if anybody else is doing this work how are you how are you yeah first of all how are you are you okay (laughs) I feel like people ask that question but it's more like how are you good okay let's move on to what we're talking about but this comes from my heart like how are you doing um if you need help reach out to us but also how are you engaging um in this gray space how are you engaging in this work that is very much needed in academia and very much needed in 
I think of spaces outside of academia because in everyday life, you know, people fall into the gray space. I think of the corporate world too and how Mm -hmm. people, I mean, this happened to me all the time in corporate world, which is why I'm like, look, y'all don't need to have me because every corporate job I've had, they're like, oh, you're kind of like a radical or hippie or whatever they, they use to describe me where I was in this world, but I was also outside of this world and I fell into like this gray space. Um, and so, yeah, I think if you're doing the work or if you have questions about the work, let us know, send us an email, leave a comment on our Instagram, um, posts. Like we said, we post every episode, including this one that we've had with Flora. Um, but yeah, reach out to us and let us know. Yeah. Yeah, And I, I think part of this conversation definitely has like a North American slash like European, uh, context to it because we're both Mm -hmm. based out of North America, Flores in Canada, Ricky and I are both in the US. But I think it goes so far beyond that. And I mean, Mm -hmm. that might be something that Flora could up like, you know, I think it's amazing that Flora's work touches beyond just like the North American and like European context. Um, You know, of course, that's like a major part of this conversation. But um, yeah, I think I think it extends so far beyond that. And it's interesting how I think a lot of people in like non-Western spaces, especially post-colonial spaces, mm-hmm. um, are impacted and influenced by Eurocentric um, academia. Yes, yeah. uh, they are. Like, it's interesting you're using post-colonial spaces and not decolonial. I mean, I, there was like a world debate about post-colonial or decolonial. Yes. Um, I think it depends uh, on... Um, on the theories or practices you're um, referring to, mm-hmm. um, just I just think what you said about even my mind is not safe. Uh, it's it's blowing my mind right now because it's it's so true. Like it's just so that and and when you say it also, and I'm just going back to to give an answer, an answer, no, to just react to what you said um, about the fact that research is just just have a tiny scope. Not just that, we also ask to have, to be flexible, to know on different matters uh, and pretty good enough to be able to write a paper in a specific journal. And uh, this paradoxical way of um, being in academia, it's also really tiring, I would say. Um, Yes, about all these post-colonial and decolonial spaces is why I was quoting Edouard Lissons a long time, uh, who is uh, a black man from Martinique, uh, which was colonized by France, um, and is, uh, well, uh, on paper, still part of France. Um, and he has a really post-colonial, even say, de- we could even say decolonial way of thinking about thinking and being and becoming and that's why there's you know, such theories, and I would say such poetics, such practices, I want to um, engage with way more in my research because it goes somewhere else, you know, and not, I'm not, mm-hmm. not saying like, oh, it's new, yes, let's do that. It's not that way. It goes somewhere else, and I have the feeling it's where the world should tend to, you know, mm-hmm. if we want really to dismantle the structures as um, people of color, black people, or as allies of them, we need those theories, practices, and poetics and to confront with them, like to face them and not just like 
oh yeah they are here on the side and mm-hmm. you know from time to time you are walking i don't know about um a black authors and you will ask oh yes you need someone and you know that will fit and that's it and i think why not it's, it's a question I, I got when I was doing my PhD comprehensive exam. And I think that's a really good question that with, I'm, I'm still engaging with is why you are not using theories, critics and practices from people of color or black people mm-hmm. to texts, texts that are written by white people. And I'm like, yeah, why not actually? Why, why can't we do that to actually really dismantle from within, you know, to say, you know, there is also a problem in certain texts or there is no problem or, you know, depending on what you want to, um, to discuss and analyze. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's, thank you for bringing that up, Flora. And I, I really, so I'm glad you brought up the post-colonial and decolonial um, conversation, because I think that there's so much also tied into language and like the terminology. I know that I always use decolonial, or I, I started to engage more with like using the term decolonial, I should say. Um, but I kind of got away from that because there is a lot of work with um, indigenous and native um uh, theorists and scholars in the U.S. who um, kind of grapple with that term and, and use that term as basically like there's this theory saying that can you really use the term decolonial on stolen land? Um, and of course yeah. that applies more to like settler colonialism, which of course is in a large context, a lot of like, especially like North American nations, the U.S., Canada, um, but, and of course other nations around the world as well. But um, I think that. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I appreciate you bringing that because I think that we do need to explore these terms further. And we do need to think about how we are framing like our conversations. I know for me, like I will just say, I often struggle with how do I refer to non-white Western, like European countries? Like, and even let me thinking about like the US, I don't want to think about it as like a white Western country because it's settler colonial state. So it's, I often struggle with how to talk about it. Like sometimes I say like, you know, global South, sometimes it really depends on the context of what I'm referring to, but I appreciate you bringing that up because it, I'm, I'm often, and then even just like on this podcast, I'm like, okay, how do I refer to this in a way that's not broad or centralized or generalized, but lets mm. people know what I'm referring to. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, 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 it's sometimes it's difficult to like narrow something down and talk about it. Cause you do, you want to be inclusive and talk about like, I'm talking about myself, like in this context, I'm speaking about large groups and societies and people, but then also on the same hand, I don't want to generalize them, but I'm trying to get a point across. <laughs> so sometimes it's like hard to like that language, that language all gets lost in that. But I think that's, this conversation has been so great because it's really, really opened my eyes up too. And like allowed me to continue my process, my thought process of how, um, and to engage in that chaotic thinking. I really like that too. I'm going to use yeah, that. Yeah, it has been, to, uh, I think there is one of his work. I mean, one of um, um, Edward Lisson's work has been translated into English. Um, so. Oh, awesome. I'm oh, going to have to check that out. Listening. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we'll link to that in our, um, in our resources as well. We have some great resources for this episode, but we'll link to that as well that Flora was, I was mentioning. just about to say that, Charmaine. Oh, so sorry, yeah. Ricky. <laughs> no, no, no. I love it. I love it when we're on the same wavelength. Yes. 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 Definitely check out our resources page and 
um, for more like of the articles we've talked about and different things that we think are relevant to this topic. You can find that all on our resources page. And if you have any resources about this topic, if you're an academic cool. and you have resources, please share them with us. We will love, we love, uh, don't get us started on a good book. That's why we have a whole Unplugged Club series. We love a good book. We love a good article. So please feel free to share those and send those to us. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for, for having this conversation with us. And um, we look forward to many more conversations, hopefully. <laughs> um, and just, you know, having conversations that need to be had so that people feel um more included and, and feel that they're not alone. I think that this conversation is definitely one that people will listen to and not feel alone and feel like they, you know, you, you, you know, those conversations you're hearing, you're like, oh, okay. I, I feel better about myself. I'm not alone. And I feel like this will definitely be one of them. Um, and like we said, if you have any questions for us or for Flora, please feel free to email us, um, DM us, contact us in the many different ways you can contact us. Um, we're constantly love hearing from the Gray Matters community and we love getting updates for everyone all from all of our listeners. Um, but as always, yes, thank you again, again to Flora for coming on. It's been an absolute um, pleasure speaking with you and it's been it's so pleasure great. pleasure is mine. It was yeah. really nice to have this dialogue with us and I, I hope we can keep going uh, whether virtually or maybe we can meet somewhere at some point after COVID. I yes. just wanted to, to make a note uh, to close this discussion. Um, we are June, we are in June and that's a pride month and as a bisexual woman I just wanted to say hi to all my community and be proud, proud of yourself and yeah that's it. Yes. Thank you so much for that, Flora. Thank you for that wonderful reminder. And yes, thank you. And here is to hoping that we can, we can meet in a non-virtual space soon and stay safe, everyone. Thank you again, Flora. And we will talk to you guys next week. All of you folks, not just you guys. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. We appreciate your support. You can continue to show your support by giving the podcast five stars and by following us on our website, graymatterstheblog.com. That's gray with an A and on Instagram, as well as sharing and commenting on our posts on at graymatterstheblog. We want to connect with our Gray Matters community. That's you, our listeners. So if you have a comment or inquiry about customizable trainings and workshops, email us at graymatterstheblog at gmail.com. Stay safe, everyone, and we will chat with you next week.